Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Help for HD Lives, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a um, grant from Neurocrine Biosciences and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today we have the lovely, lovely Savannah Wilkes on with us. Um, she is part of the HD community. I actually got to meet her at a convention for the first time and uh, just has this amazing story and is doing amazing things. Um, when it comes to mental health, and I really wanted her to come on and, and just kind of share her story and um, all that she's doing. So, Savannah, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Lauren, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, I'm going to have you start off with your journey with HD and and what your um, what your experience with HD has been in your family and with yourself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I uh, knew about Huntington's disease. I think my mom first mentioned it to me that it was in our family when I was like nine. Um, and she kind of just described it as something that her dad had and that he had passed away before I was born. So I didn't really know much about it. Um, and then a few years later, she actually ended up getting diagnosed with Huntington's disease herself. Um, and that was kind of when the door opened to where my parents both explained a little bit more about it, um, but it was still not very detailed. I just knew that my mom's behavior started changing, um, and I wasn't really quite sure what was happening other than she just got more moody and she started to get um, upset a lot easier and have a harder time being able to self-regulate, um, and that just kind of gradually got harder. And after her diagnosis, we didn't really talk about Huntington's disease. We didn't really get much support for it. Um, and like her doctor's appointments were kept private from me. So I didn't really know too much about it. Um, I, I knew that it was something that had been in our family for generations and I knew that it was really bad. But um, I just kind of thought my mom was gonna just kind of stay the way she was and that was it. And then as the years went by and I got older, through my um, high school years especially, things started to get a lot more difficult with her. Um, she was really struggling and she started to have a lot more symptoms in her 40s. Um, and that was when I kind of recognized that Huntington's disease was a big deal. And I also found out that my brother and I would have a 50% chance of inheriting it. And that was a lot to process. So, um, I did not actually seek support for Huntington's disease until later in life because my family was just very private about it, um, which is interesting because I don't really understand why I'm not that way now. So I know that like it's so helpful to have support. Um, and so 
that's kind of like the knowledge that I had on Huntington's disease. One of the things that we, we talk about in the community is that there seems to be these taboo subjects. And so um, if you're willing to delve into that a little bit today, um, because you have a very unique perspective because of the experiences, um, that would be amazing. Um, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, that'd be great. Um, I got married pretty young and I ended up uh, moving quite far away from my family um, at a very young age when my husband joined um, the Air Force. And so that was the first time I was ever away from my mom. And I had really taken a role of an emotional caregiver to her um, throughout all of the symptoms that she was having. I was like that one constant in her life. So that was really, really hard for her whenever I did that. And I remember spending so much time on the phone. So I was still very involved with her. But as she progressed, um, the mental side of Huntington's disease is really what's in my family very strongly. It's not as much the physical at younger ages, I would say. Um, and so she had a lot of depression and suicidal ideation that lasted for several years. Um, and trying to find help for that was really difficult because when somebody has a mental illness and they're talking about stuff like that, and with Huntington's, you know, like, your moods can go so up and down that you could be having the worst day ever and then the next morning wake up and be okay for the most part. That was how my mom was. And on the outside, she looked normal and people did not understand the depth of what she was going through, but I did. And so I tried my best to be there for her. And before really being able to explore my own mental health and figuring out like, what my capacities and limitations were, I was just taking on so much of what she was going through and trying to fix it. And sometimes there's just not things that you can fix. And mental health is one of them. You can be there to support people, but I couldn't fix my mom. Um, and so she really struggled with feeling like a burden and knowing that her symptoms were getting worse and that some of her independence was being taken away slowly. She was just struggling so much. Um, and I remember her telling me she came out to visit me um, for Thanksgiving. And it was rare that my parents ever came and visited because it was just hard on my mom to travel at that point. And so they came out and my son was one and a half at the time. Um, and it was a really rocky visit. And I remember like that's the last time I saw my parents. And my mom told me that she um, was not going to see me again after that. And I did not believe her because it had been three years where she had said things like that to me. Um, and just a few weeks later, her and my dad both ended up completing suicide together. And my world completely turned upside down, as you can imagine, um, because I, I never expected something like that in my family to happen. I don't think anybody does. Um, and it was at that point that while I was just grieving so heavily, I also like had a passion inside of me immediately that was like, I don't want this to happen to another family because I feel like, you know, suicide can always be prevented. It's not on one single person to do that. But I think like collectively, there's a lot of signs and it's really more complicated when somebody has something like HD to know like what kind of risk they're at and how to help them through that. And so, that is um, that is the tragedy that you're speaking of for sure. Um, was that that happened? It's actually six years ago, just a few days ago. Um, we just went through the death anniversary, and those are always really hard. Um, 
And so last year, I actually decided that um, I really wanted to be a lot more open about grief and about healing. And so I did start an Instagram page specifically for that, where I've just kind of been able to be myself and talk really openly about what it's like and how grief is not something that just goes away. It's something that stays with you forever. Even if you're living your best life and doing everything that you want to be doing, it's always going to be there, and it's something that you have to continuously work through. Yeah, and, you know, I've said this before. Like, my heart, every time I hear your story is just, it breaks um, because you've, you've had to go through that. But I do have to say as well what a strong person you are. Um, to use that tragedy to help not only yourself but others. And um, your uh, your Instagram has been very helpful to me alone, like just dealing with my own personal grief and also just learning that it's okay to not be okay. And it's something that you've said to me, and um, it resonates because nobody tells you that nowadays. It's always like, oh, you're going to be okay or – you're going, you know, it's never, it's okay to not be okay. And, um, and so I really love what you're doing um, with social media to really promote that. Appreciate that. It, it was really scary at first because it is something like you initially said, that's a taboo topic. It's not something people, it's not that they don't want to be there for you. I just feel like if you haven't been through something that's really heavy like that. It's hard to connect with people. It's hard to know what to say. And I think human response is automatically like, I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I'm not going to say anything. And you're always trying to find the positive for somebody to fix it. And it's like, well, I lost both of my parents in one day and they were my best friends. So there is nothing that somebody can say to me that is going to make that better, you know? And so I think having a voice and being able to take the pain that, you know, I'm going through and try to use it for some good is what I've been trying to do, you know, but it's an everyday struggle. And that's what I remind people so often is that while I'm actively working on my healing journey, like I still have terrible days and I still have days where I feel like I haven't healed at all, even though I know when I wake up the next morning and the sun rises again, that like, that's not true. But I also think that goes to show how important it is to show up for people and check on people because when you feel like there's nobody that cares, that is when you start to have those really dark thoughts and just being a light to others and letting them know that they can take their mask off and that it's okay for them to say like, no, I'm not okay right now. And there's nothing that needs to be said to make that better in that moment. Just sitting with somebody in their feelings, in their emotions, in that time is usually what people are asking for. That's all they want is for you to just sit with them and let them know that, like, what they're feeling is valid and not try to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Savannah, when you have – this might be too personal and you can tell me no, but – when you have those days, you mentioned having your own dark days and stuff, you know, is there something that you go by to get through those days? You know, I think it's different as as I grow and change. Like the things that I've, you know, that I had that helped me cope five years ago may be different now. Um, fitness used to be a huge, huge thing for me. 
I used to just go and literally like, I mean, went way too hard. Like I would spend hours at the gym or whatever, but for that time period, that is what I needed to cope and to get through my grief. So, you know, I think a lot of people tend to have extremes, whether it's an addiction or something that happens not knowing how to cope with such significant loss. So I'm thankful, you know, that, that I did choose to do that. But, you know, as the years went by, I realized that wasn't maintainable, nor was it always the most healthy thing for me to be expending so much energy trying to, I don't want to say run away from it, but that was my place where I was able to go and feel like I could just let everything out because I wasn't using a platform like I am now to kind of say the things that I wanted to say. Um, but I also journal. Journaling is so helpful, not something that one of my counselors um, helped me with years ago while I was doing grief counseling. He would just say, like, write down all the things as they are, as they come to you. Just write them down. I don't care how scary they are. I don't care how um, deep they are. Write them all down. And it's very therapeutic to just get those words on paper. Um, there's some type of connection that you have mentally to that with, like, actually writing it down. So I do that. Um, and then now I think a big thing for me that I've learned is changing my environment to feel really heavy. I find that I've normally withdrawn a lot and I haven't been out of the house um, as much as I should be or I've been focusing on everybody else's um, issues and things around me and I haven't been attending to myself. And so what I love to do now is I go take a walk. I will just make sure that I change my environment or I'll go sit in Starbucks on my laptop and just sit there with music on. And every time that I change my environment, it shocks me how much it changes my perspective. Um, because I think sometimes when we stay in that same place, it's really hard to see something outside of what's right in front of us, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So I want to bring up another thing that we've discussed um, that's been very helpful for me. And one of the things that we had discussed is the fact that you are honest with your son about how you feel. Um, and it, it is something that I've struggled with. I've always wanted to be like the, the strong, I don't want my kids to see me cry type, um, you know, and trying to let go of that because um, you're just very real with your emotions. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and, and how it's not only helped you, but helped your son. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm a work in progress on that. I'll tell you what, I actually have, I feel like a really good story to share that just happened a few days ago. Um, I mentioned before, it was just the six year anniversary of my parents passing and that's always difficult to get through. Um, and so I actually have a, a drawer, um, a sick drawer that I have and all of the very personal belongings that I have for my parents, I keep in there. And it's something that I've always had ever since they passed away and I have never shown it to anybody else. I keep it, you know, in, in my closet and I pull it out and I look through, it's got some cards in there, like their final cards to me um, and, and their personal belongings that I got whenever, you know, we had their funeral and stuff, like everything's in there. And I've always viewed it as it's something sacred to me. It's something that nobody else will get and nobody else will care about except for me. And so I was sitting on my closet floor the other day and I was going through everything and looking at some pictures and my son just happened to walk in. I have like a giant walk-in closet. So I was just sitting in there alone and he just walks in and he's like, hey mom, 
And my immediate response was to snap at him because I felt like a very personal, sacred moment for me. Um, Like he was walking in on that and he wouldn't understand. And so I snapped at him and he just looked at me and his eyes got really big and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm doing something right now. Can you just give me a few minutes? And he was like, is that your mom and dad stuff? And I just like took a minute and paused and I breathed for a second because I'm like, why am I being so reactive and triggered right now? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is, buddy. And he was like, can I sit with you? And I just sat there for a second and I was like, "This, I don't even know what to say right now. Should I let him sit here? And so he sat there with me and he just asked questions about them and, you know, was going through their stuff and I think that was like a moment for me where I was like, wow, he can handle a lot more than I give him credit for. And allowing myself to be really, really vulnerable with my child in that moment, it really changed like my perspective. Because while I am very honest with him, I also really tailor everything to his age, you know, because I think that's important. But I also think I've kept things private as well that I view as too much. Um, And he has been asking a lot of questions recently, even just how they passed away. And it's hard to, like, know how to communicate with your kids. But if I've learned anything, it's that being authentic with your children is so important for their development so that when they grow up, like, they're able to handle things like this if something like this were to happen to them. And so that moment now is like a core memory for both of us. We sat there and my mom actually wrote Landon a card um that she left for him when she passed away and I read it to him for the first time and her handwriting was so bad at that point that it was hard for me to make out the words but he was so sweet and empathetic and he was just like thanks mom for letting me sit here with you and he's like I miss them and I wish that they were here and he said while I'm a kid because I was a baby and I just thought that was so sweet but that's just I guess my perspective has changed getting older I'm learning (laughs) what's good Oh, you've got a great kid. I mean, that's so sweet of him. Um, But it just shows like how real you've been with him and how authentic you've been with him. Um, You know, which is such an amazing thing. uh, Because, you know, and and thank you for sharing such a a personal moment. I I know that can be hard, but what a wonderful moment um, it turned into. And um, I mean, that's just, that's just so sweet. Yeah, and I asked him, I said, I don't want to make you sad. That's why I didn't want you to come in here. And he was like, Mom, it's okay. I want to sit with you because you're sad. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't give him enough credit. Like, I don't give, you know, all kids have that capacity if you allow them to be there for you. And I think adults try so hard to shelter because we don't want our kids to hurt. But sometimes allowing them to sit in that hurt with us is the best tool that we can teach them for their future relationships and even their own coping. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is the name of your Instagram handle where people can find you? Yeah, so um, it's life and loss and underscore uh, with, or it's life and loss with Sav, and it has an underscore um, right before my name. Life and loss with, and then underscore Sav, right? Yes, it took me a minute because I I recently did. (laughs) 
and you are basically sharing, you know, your your journey through life and loss on there. Yeah, and it's adapting with me as as my grief changes and as my life changes, and I think that's the beauty of it is is being able to grow with things. And originally, it was this is grief with Sav, and it was specifically just like only grief stuff, and I only had like people on there that was that were dealing with that. Um, and then I recently, I had my personal Instagram as well, and I was like, this is too much for one person. And I really want to show people that life and loss go together, just like the whole concept that I tell everybody, that, like, it moves with you. Um, so I did change my handle to the life and loss with Sav now because I wanted to incorporate some of my personal life in there outside of grief um, because I did, I asked people on there you know, if that was something that they would want to see. And they were like, it really actually does help us to see you living life outside of it too, because then it helps us to know that we can do that as well and that we're going to have joy again as well. And that spoke volumes to me. Absolutely. Um, For those listening, you know, I highly recommend going and finding Savannah on Instagram. It has been super helpful for me dealing with grief and just going through the grieving process, but also, you know, accepting that it's okay to not be okay, um, to know that there's somebody who understands um, kind of what I deal with, with, um, you know, depression and stuff. So um, I highly recommend going um, to Instagram to find her. You are also on, I don't know that you're sharing the same Twitter, but you have a Twitter as well, don't you? And And a Facebook so I, I don't share, like I made a Twitter years ago, but I, I don't think I've ever made one post on there. <laughs> so definitely don't gotcha. go there because yeah. there's nothing. And Facebook, I do. So Instagram is the place. Yeah, that's the place where I'm pretty open. And I purposely did separate that because I wanted it to all be in one place because I felt like I was trying to like balance, you know, making sure that I shared certain things in certain places. And then my Instagram is where I just kind of let my hair down and I'm just like, this is me. This is what you get, you know? And on Facebook I do, that's like a place where I share stuff from Landon with grandparents and stuff like that. So yeah, my Instagram is where, where you should go. Awesome. Well, Savannah, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. And um, I'm just so, um, happy to to be able to present this to other people because it's been very helpful to me well thank you so much Lauren like I have absolutely loved getting to know you a little bit and knowing some of your story and I just think incredible the things that you're doing for Huntington's disease too and I hope to um, be able to incorporate more of that now that I've merged my Instagram I definitely want to be posting more about that too because it is a huge part of our lives Absolutely. So for those who are listening, please make sure that you go to Instagram and look for Savannah, um, life and loss with underscore Sav, S-A-V. And please make sure that you are tuning in in February. We're going to do our um, Love in HD series again. Um, So I want all the stories of different love stories in the Huntington's community so we can share them on our podcast. Um, And until next time, guys, take care and love you.
thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. 